0: CHAPTER Nine. NAHAT-AHYANAPA A TRAINED WARRIOR As Ninanabat's oldest son, Nahat-ahyanapa, and two other young men were tying the long, heavy logs to their workhorses, they heard the sound of horses' hooves pounding against the ground in the distance. On the far hill they saw several Indian scouts, possibly Ute and Apache, The scouts were leading a large group of soldiers down the hill and through the arroyo. The young men counted nearly forty soldiers and six scouts. The young men rushed back to their horses, released the workhorses from the cumbersome logs, then quietly and swiftly raced home. Once home, Nahatahyanapa sought out his maternal grandfather, and told him of what they had seen. The plan was to stay where they were until nightfall, then make their way up to their summer home, which was much higher on the mesa toward the north. The terrain made it difficult to travel, which gave the Nabeho protection from the soldiers and scouts. Nhat Ahienapa wished his father were home so he could obtain advice about what to do Regarding the scouts and the soldiers. Hashkehishnapa was hunting to obtain meat for his people. His father wanted to make sure all the families would have enough to eat. He also was obtaining more information regarding the new enemy. He wanted his Nabehua people to be able to get to their summer home in safety. Nahatahyanapa would have to wait until sundown when his father would be home. They all seemed to be holding their breath. There was no time to wait. A messenger was sent to warn the families living in the vicinity. The hired sheepherders were notified of the move and were directed to herd the sheep through the dense sagebrush and the sparse forest in another direction. All the family members and the hired help were told to meet Hashke Yenapa and his family at their summer home. Only necessary items were packed to keep their packs light in order to make the journey quicker. The great concern the group had was how they were going to transport Ninanapa's mother without causing her much pain. She was in such a fragile condition. A travoy was made with two long poles. Tied with yaka lacing, the same lacing held several layers of sheepskin. The weak woman began her journey along with the others. Her transportation on the travois slowed the group, adding danger to the journey. Nhat Ahinapa decided he and two young men would be the ones to transport his maternal grandmother to their summer home. They would travel much slower. As the provisions were being divided up among the groups of travelers, Nahatahinapa asked for a private moment with Tseqiznazba, the young woman he fell in love with and married. With their provisions loaded upon their pack horse, the young men and the old woman listened as their family and their sheep moved northward in the intense darkness. Travel in the darkness of night was slow along the rocky terrain, but Nhat Ahinapa's maternal grandmother kept her pledge to be brave, even though movement caused her much pain. As the white light of early dawn was appearing on the horizon, the young men were searching for a smoother route around an especially rocky area when they saw the fresh tracks of many horses in the soft dirt below them. Nahat went ahead to scout the area. The young man found many men camped just on the eastern side of the long sloping hill. As he began riding back toward the others, fear yanked at Nhat Ahyanapa's thoughts, causing them to crash into one another. Nahat Ahyanapa had to think fast. They would have to divert the attention of the soldiers away from his mother, maternal grandfather, and his beautiful wife, Tseqiz Nahat Ahyanapa decided to continue during the day, moving southward instead of toward the north, where other members of his family were moving. Nahat Ahyanapa and the young men would move off of these hills and travel in the valley, making it smoother for his grandmother, but making it easier for the soldiers and Indian scouts to find them. He and his men could leave his grandmother in a safe spot, ride fast as his father had taught them, in different directions so as to confuse the enemy and keep them away from his mother, Sekizna's ba and her brothers and sisters and other women and children. Nhat Ahinapa had heard at the leadership gatherings and from local people about the vicious and evil way these soldiers treated Navajo men, women, and children. They tortured and then killed the men, women, and children. The Nabe warriors were trained to fight and withstand pain, but the women and children were not trained for pain. The women and children were trained to withstand hardship but not torture. Nahat Ahyanapa was determined not to allow these soldiers to find the rest of his family. Nahat Ahyanapa found a safe spot to hide his maternal grandmother and left her with herbal tea, that his mother made for such an occasion. The herbal drink would make his maternal grandmother sleepy. Nahat Ahyanapa then ordered the two young warriors to pull out several sagebrush plants and ride after him. Nahat Ahyanapa rode down the hill and, while still on his horse, leaned over, reached down and yanked out several sagebrush plants then rode furiously northward. There were no signs of the soldiers, but he could see the tracks of his family in the sandy areas. Here he began to swipe the sandy ground with the sagebrush bushes to eliminate the tracks of his maternal grandfather and the others who had moved on. His family had suffered enough tragedy, and he was going to do all he could to keep them safe. As Nahat Napa was backtracking to confuse the enemy, he heard a warning cry being given. He stopped his horse and listened for the cry again. Once again he heard it. He walked up a steep hill and saw that the soldiers had captured the two young men he had been with. The soldiers were standing around someone and they were laughing. As he crept farther along the hill, he saw that the soldiers were surrounding the travoy his grandmother had been laid upon. As he observed further, he noticed another group of soldiers yelling at the two young men he had been traveling with. He saw that blood was running out of his friend's eye, and the soldiers were hitting him while they had the other young man's hands tied behind his back. And his feet were also tied. The young man's body jerked as the soldiers whipped his back, chest, and face. Nahat Ahyanapa was puzzled. He could not see his maternal grandmother. He hoped the soldiers had not killed her and left her out in the open. Nahat watched helplessly as he remembered the accounts regarding torture at the hands of the soldiers that were given at the last winter leadership gathering. Nabe Hu told of an evil soldier named Be'e'l'chi'i, red shirt, Kit Carson. Be'e'l'chi'i was in command of many men who were just as evil as their leader. All the soldiers were bad people without a thought about the sacredness of life. Nahat'ahyanapa remembered. They were told that these soldiers carried more hate during the day. Nahat'ahyanapa's mind raced with questions. Were these men the ones whose leader was Be'et Could they have been the ones the Nabahi, Navajo warriors, told about? Could they have been the ones who had roped Nabeho women then raped them again in front of their children. These men may have been the ones who killed the mother and father of Tek Isnazba just because they were protecting their family from these bad white soldiers. These men could also be the soldiers who mutilated young girls' bodies by cutting off their breasts when the young girls were still alive, then played a game where they batted the breast from one soldier's stick to another, Nahat Ahyanapa's heart began to beat faster. He thought of his beautiful Tseqiznazba. He did not want anyone to hurt his beautiful young wife, certainly not these evil men. Nahat Ahyanapa had further heard many horror stories that were told about the man whom Navajos in another area called the rope-thrower Kit Carson, who along with his troops burned many Nabe hogan's with families still inside by throwing fire sticks into the hogan Hogan through the smoke hole, while another fire would be set at the doorway to trap the family inside. Only screams could be heard, which after an agonizing time, the screams would die down as the black smoke curled upward, making sad shapes in the sky. It was as if the spirits of the dead people were rising with the smoke, only to dissipate with the slight breeze. Nahat Yanapa wondered. Othi et lohi dobe et le chii dads askeintle, but my dad's a docho ingo pijosa, but big in the north doesn't eh. Tado benia go gina, ag et neat a benia gina. Were rope thrower and be et le related to each other? Their mother must have hated them for them to be so ruthless and hateful. Their mother should have sat on them at birth. Men like this should not be allowed to live. They only live to hate, he thought, as anger built up inside him. Nahatahya mind would not let him rest. Not only was he watching the torture below, his mind was recalling the stories of distant relatives who watched helplessly, as their loved ones were tormented. What about the time the soldiers became restless? They had come to fight and wanted excitement. They captured the young girls, raped them, and when there was so much blood running from between the young girls' legs, the soldiers then chased them and laughed as the young girls fell to their knees, crying and begging for relief. Many times the young women and girls died from the shock of being raped by one ruthless, hateful soldier after another. The worst of the torture was that the young girl's family was forced to watch as the young girls were being tortured. Nahat Ahyanapa was nearly paralyzed with fear, not with fear for himself, but with fear for his mother, for his wife ba, the young woman who stole his heart, and for his aunts and cousins. His mother had suffered so much. First her daughters, his sisters, were kidnapped and were never seen again, and then his mother was nearly raped by the enemy. He knew what his wife Isnazba went through from what she told him during the nights when she would be wakened by a frightening dream. He remembered the many nights he held his beautiful wife as he comforted her and told her he would not let anyone hurt her again. He promised to be a brave warrior for his wife and his mother and his sisters. He promised to protect each one with his life. Nhat Ahyanapa remembered The stories told at the leadership meetings of how these soldiers were so angry. They were hungry for blood. They were even angry with the Navajo people's helpless sheep, goats, horses, cattle, and mules. There were the times when the soldiers herded some sheep and goats into an area that was closed in. Then the soldiers set the herd on fire as the family watched in horror. The family was reduced to helplessness by the soldiers with guns who held them back. The Nabehu considered their sheep and goats their relatives. The animals gave their wool and fleece willingly so the women could weave rugs to be shaped into garments for the cold winters. The animals sacrificed their lives to feed the people when they were hungry. The animals even kept them warm on nights when they were running from the enemy. What about my mother's favorite goat, the one we called the old, tired one? It was because of the goat's funny bleat, that my mother's life was spared. Our animals take good care of us, Nahat thought as he wiped the sweat off of his face. He remembered the elders saying, These soldiers with white skin do not have five fingers. They cannot be human. The people were heard to be saying many times, They are people who do not have any hearts. Suddenly, Nahat 'ah Ayanapa's body sprang into action. His mind still had not yet caught up with his body, but he found himself springing onto his horse, and he sped toward the enemy. His father had taught his sons and young warriors to ride on the side of the horse as a means of protection, which was an excellent way to surprise the enemy. His horse was well trained and responded to his slightest movement and responded immediately. yanapa felt the wind enter his body and fill his lungs when he opened his mouth. As his horse raced toward the enemy soldiers who were torturing his two friends, He felt the air in his lungs being forced out in a scream. He screamed at the top of his lungs as he went screeching past the many soldiers who were torturing his two young friends, causing confusion among the soldiers. His horse raced effortlessly up the rocky hill as Nahatahinapa urged it to race around some tall pine trees. With the soldiers distracted, the two young Nabehwa warriors forced their bodies into action by scrambling up the steep hill. They knew horse and rider would be coming back in an instant to keep the soldiers confused. Nhatahyanapa then came racing his horse back down again, screaming with rage. This time he was riding on the opposite side of his horse. The soldiers were a blur as he and his horse raced past the confused soldiers. As Nahatahyanapa and his horse were racing up the hill, he looked back and saw the soldiers scrambling, possibly running for their horses or their guns. As he suspected, Ahinapa saw the soldiers' horses gathered in the grove of juniper trees. He turned his horse and sped down the hill toward the horses. Coming close to the saddled herd, the young warrior rose up on his horse and began screaming wildly at the horses. It worked. The horses were spooked. They broke away from the branches they were tied to and began running at first in circles. Then they broke into a run up the narrow valley where the soldiers were gathered. Having gained momentum, the stampeding horses and their hooves made enough noise to scare even the most ruthless soldiers. -ah Nhatahyanabba remained riding high on his horse, holding on to the rein as horse and man smoothly rode as one. The soldiers had no time to pick up their weapons. They began running up the steep rocky cliffs, some tripping, some falling onto their hands and knees. Many were sent rolling back down into the narrow valley, straight into the path of the crazed horses. Several soldiers finally attempted to shoot at Nhat Ahinapa, but he easily and smoothly slid down, straddled his horse and leaned into his horse's mane as they sped past the confused soldiers who were watching the stampeding herd. Soon his injured fellow warriors gathered their wits about them, and one began throwing large rocks down at the soldiers, while the other, whose hands and feet were tied, began using his shoulders and legs to shove and kick large boulders down upon the soldiers who were shooting at the lone rider. The one Young Na'beho man, having seen the bravery of Nahatahinapa, became fearless. With his face dripping with blood, he ran to his friend and used his flint knife to cut the ropes from his friend's wrists and ankles. When the two young men saw Nahatahinapa disappear over the hill, they too escaped behind the trees by rolling rocks and boulders down into the path of the soldiers who were trying to take aim at them with their rifles. As a war leader, the elder Hashkeh Yilnapa had trained his sons and his warriors well. The two young men saw some stray horses running in a confused fashion, and as the horses ran toward them, they ran and jumped on the horses and hung on for their lives. The three warriors circled back to drive the rest of the horses out of the narrow valley and ran them southward in the opposite direction of where their relatives went. Along their southern route, they stopped at as many nabehua settlements as they could find and told the nabehua people of the soldiers they left on foot. With the night still holding on to its blanket of cold, it was hoped that many of the soldiers and their scouts would freeze to death if they had not all been already killed by the stampeding horses. The next night, Nahatahinapa and his friends stopped near a spring that ran near the Hopi mesas to allow the two young men to regain their strength. But the one young warrior had lost so much blood and could not see out of one eye. They rested, but worried throughout the night. At dawn, they found three Ute warriors pointing guns at them. Not ahinapa was comforted, knowing they were being captured by Utes, and not the American soldiers. For even though the Utes were known to be fierce, the Utes were the Indians, and they should have respect for the sacredness of a life. The full morning light brought the death of their fellow warrior. Ahinapa and his companion were allowed to bury their fellow warrior in a shallow grave they covered with rocks before they were herded by the Ute warriors toward the east. They recognized some of the areas they were passing through The Ute warriors were met by many soldiers who tied up Nahatahinapa and his companion and pushed them into a deep arroyo where they found many more Nabehok warriors, young and old, being held prisoner. It was obvious that many of the men had been beaten, but the proud Nabehok people remained silent as they sat waiting for more prisoners, desperately hoping the next man, woman, or child pushed into the arroyo would not be a relative. It was cold that night. Small children could be heard crying. Their mothers cried silent, dry tears for their children. Two soldiers came over and kicked a little boy who was laying on the ground near his mother, this brought a Napahi, Navajo warrior, to his feet, ready to defend the young child. The soldier pointed his rifle at the man's head and shot him. Nat Ahi Napah struggled against the ropes that tied his hands and his feet together. He felt so helpless. The women and children screamed. Once again, the soldier kicked a woman in the back. Screaming. She cried out, and to silence her, the soldiers dragged her to her feet while her children tried hanging on to her. But as she was being dragged, her children loosened their grip and slipped down to the ground, crying. Over the hill, one could hear the woman's clothes being torn a struggle, screams, loud grunting, and laughing. The sounds repeated themselves once again, then again, and again. Then there was silence. The woman was never brought back. The children looked into empty faces and asked where their mother was. Everyone they asked knew the answer but did not tell the children. Instead, they had compassion on the children and took them in as their own. Nahata felt helpless. He could have the courage and the strength of three men if he had his horse, but his well-trained horse had been taken by the Ute warriors. He saw the soldiers give the Ute scouts shiny pieces of gold. He could not believe the Ute scouts could have become heartless like the soldiers. He felt helpless. What would my father have done if he were here, he wondered. As the images of his family flashed through his mind, he knew he had to survive to protect his family from these youths and soldiers who did not have a heart. As more images flashed through his mind, The beautiful face of Tekiznazba was as clear as if she were sitting in front of him. At seeing her face, fright began to make his breaths come faster. His mind raced. He did not want anyone to hurt his beautiful wife. I hope someone is there to kill the man who tries to hurt her the way these soldiers hurt these children's mother, he thought as he watched. The clouds make eerie patterns in the sky under the glow of the cold moon. The next day they were ordered to march on foot toward the east. Through an Apache interpreter, they were told they were being held as prisoners because they had stolen some livestock from the Pueblo people. A woman wildly screamed, What about the children? e they weren't the ones who stole even I did not steal from you, you are lying, you are lying. Two soldiers on horseback roped her and pulled her away from the group and shouts could be heard, then silence. Old Nabeho men and women began crying. Nahat'a Yinapa struggled against the ropes that held his hands and feet tight. He could feel anger rising up within him. A soldier came close and pointed his gun at Nahat'a head, then pulled the trigger. The only sound that was heard was metal hitting against metal. The soldier began laughing, then untied him and tied his ankles together, but left enough slack in the rope to allow Nata'inapa to take small steps. His hands were tied behind him. He was also tied to other Nabeho men. If one tried to run away, he couldn't because they were all tied to one another. The children were tied to one another at the wrist. It had been many days that they were forced at gunpoint to walk toward the east. The soldiers gave them water to drink, but food was not offered to the prisoners. As Nahat Ahinapa walked, he saw edible roots and plants that he had eaten as a child. He noticed the soldiers' horses were trampling on the delicate roots and plants, but the Nabeho people were avoiding the plants and roots. They were taught never to destroy food. If his memory served him well, Nat ahinapa knew they were near the wide, flat valley the Nabeho peace leader Totsohni Hastin, Ganado Mucho, occupied for his many cattle, When they entered the valley, another group of soldiers met them. Near the base of the mesas, they could see a hogan, hogan on fire. The smoke from the hogan and the sheep corral danced, a sad dance as it rose into the sky and was carried off southward by the breeze. The Nabehua people knew the evil man, Red Shirt or rope thrower, and his men had been there. As more Nabehua prisoners were forced to join them, they were told Khastinj el Khadjin Manuelito had taken the old Nabehua people, the pregnant women, and small children, as well as sick people, to an area called Zelebei, Gray Mountain. Khastinj el had offered to take his people to live among the Gohnina, Havasupai people. Hastin Jilharjin was a war leader. In going to the west, he was searching for a place for his followers who would not be able to walk to the place the soldiers were forcing them to walk to. There were also many more Nabehu people being brought in by groups of soldiers who carried guns and rode stocky horses, the kind of horses Nahat Ahinaba's father used as work horses. He remembered his father insisted on obtaining his horses from Nabe men who raised and bred horses. Most of their herd were selected from the wild horses they tamed. Nonetheless, Nabe Huok warriors rode swift, beautiful, Sure footed, brave horses, and Nat Ahyinaba's father would have none other for himself and his warriors. Nat Ahyinaba remembered how each of the Nabe warriors were required to train and keep five to ten horses for warfare purposes. Shizanul my father's warriors' horses are impressive, Nahat Ahienapa thought as he closed his eyes to concentrate upon the ten horses he kept in excellent condition. His horses knew him and they served him well. Nahat Ahienapa yearned for the feel of his horses thundering under him. He felt humiliated to be forced to walk through these many valleys and changes of landscape. He was a prisoner as he was being herded eastward along with the other Navajo people past a place called Lukantiel, present-day Ganado. not Ahinapa and the Navajo men who were being forced to walk many miles did just as they were told in order to protect the women and the children. The soldiers would punish the women and children if the men did not obey their orders. Women were torn away from their crying children, raped, then shot, leaving the children crying. Nhat Ahinapa saw children with their mouths wide open in an attempt to cry, but no sound would come out he found his heart breaking for his people. Near the end of each day, after having been forced to walk rather swiftly for the past four days, the Navajo found themselves in the beautiful forest just above Fort Defiance. Two soldiers were sent ahead to let the soldiers at the fort know they were bringing in Navajo prisoners Nahat'ahinapa and his companion rested. They had offered to carry small children. Nahat'ahinapa carried two little children on his back and two in his arms. His arms and his back ached, but he willingly carried the little ones whose mother was raped and killed by the soldiers. The children were scared. As he carried the small children, He wondered if he should have taken time to warn his father, maternal grandfather, and mother about the soldiers. He shook his head. There was no time. He and his companion wanted to divert the soldiers' attention, and they hoped they had. Carrying the children brought back thoughts about the time he and his father and his mother rescued his beautiful Tzikiznas Ba and her siblings, the orphans, and brought them to live at their home. When Hatahina Ba set the two children who were in his arms down on the ground, he looked down at his hands and saw the calluses where he had used the sharp rock as an axe to chop down and strip logs for a Hogan Namaz around Hogan, which he planned to build for his beautiful Tsek Iznazba at their family's summer place. He desperately wanted to see Tsek Iznazba again. He smiled when he thought of how he loved seeing her long eyelashes hide the top of her cheeks as she ground corn. He allowed his thoughts to remember her waist-long jet-black hair. His memory fluttered upon the memory of when Isnazba let her hair down so she could wash it with yucca Her hair was as beautiful as the strands of rain that danced on the horizon in the summer season. His mother's hair was not as dark as his sister's hair, He could not quite remember the shade of dark brown or black their hair was. Nahat Ahinapa wished he could see his wife and his mother and his sisters. His body ached at the thought of the women he loved being treated the way these Nabeho women were being treated. While Nahat Ahinapa continued looking down at his hands, he remembered the words of his father. As son of Haleko, a gentna huitna, vision zilta. Halle do egotashizani shits nilta genizin la. Danihizani, Don nahata alchin, but notchet nahitra the holzel, do danikit nilta When you take a wife, you become braver. You do not want your spouse to be hurt in any way. It is because of our spouses and our children that we are strong and brave. You obtain hope because of them. One withstands extreme hardship because of them. It is so that our children will have something to eat and so that our children will not suffer harm are the reasons we withstand much hardship. Nhat remembered his father's words of strength. He also began to think of other leaders of the leadership gatherings. Many of the leaders who had two or three wives and many children, but his father, Hashkeh Yithnapa, loved, lived with, and was married to only one woman. Like my father, I too will only have one wife. Like my father, I too will only have one wife. She will be the only one I will love, he silently vowed to himself as he concentrated upon the beautiful features of his Tekiznazba. I am truly strong because of her, he thought, as his heart warmed with thoughts of his Tekiznazba. At Fort Defiance, the Nabeho prisoners were herded, Into a large area that had been cleared of any vegetation. They found many other young and old Nabehu prisoners. Each had a dramatic story to tell of their capture. Many Nabehu questioned one another. Who else had they forced to walk to the fort? Nakai, where are they from? Nik e sha, where are the rest of your relatives? Each question was voiced because the Nabe Hua people were hoping for some word of their loved ones they left behind. It was not long before Nahat Ahinapa and the new prisoners were told food was available in the form of rations but the food was foreign to them. The ration consisted of a foul-smelling little piece of meat that contained a lot of fat and a big fat round onion, but no place was made available for the people to cook the meat. Many Nabeho ate the meat raw. The food was very unkind and harsh to their bodies, and many Nabeho people became sick. The food was for their enemies, not for them. Nhat Ahyanapa warned the people that if they ate their enemies' food, they too would become hateful and begin to kill and do unthinkable things to others and to that which was sacred. Some people ate the food regardless of the warnings, Many elder Nabeho and small children died from the effect of the food. Nata looked into the nearby hills, wondering what type of animals lived in the hills. He wanted to be in the high hills hunting, not here at the fort.